I'm Lake Miller. And I'm Hannah Brown. Welcome to Gem City Diversity, a podcast where we talk about diversity and inclusion in the Dayton area. We're from the National Conference for Community and Justice of Greater Dayton, or NCCJ. NCCJ works in the Miami Valley to increase understanding around the topics of diversity and inclusion. It's been a while since our last episode, but after a little hiatus, we are back and ready to release lots of exciting and interesting content. We will have videos of our podcasts available, but are still working on the editing, and we'll get those to you all shortly. So now, let's talk about the reason we're all here. In this first part episode of a three-part series, Lake got the chance to talk about deaf culture with some amazing guests. He talked with C3 and Maya. They discussed growing up, their K-12 education, as well as their education at the Rochester Institute of Technology, how they met, and lastly, their wedding. Enjoy! Thank you for being here um, and being willing to be part of this journey. And I'm really excited to see, you know, once all of, we put the ribbon on all of this and it's done at the end, what it becomes. So I have joining me here, C3 and Maya. And we want to just make a quick disclaimer here. We also have Gloria, who is going to be voicing for Maya. C3 will be voicing for themselves. But you may also hear in future episodes throughout this season that Gloria may also be speaking as herself. So we'll make sure at the beginning of the episode to kind of put a disclaimer as to who Gloria is voicing for. But today, Gloria will be voicing as Maya. So C3 and Maya, I would like to first just turn it over and see if you might be willing to just share a little bit about your stories. So I think maybe we'll start with how we met. And Maya and I met in June of 2016. So well over four years ago, and we met at a mutual friend's wedding. I was a plus one date of the groom, or a, of a guest for the groom, and Maya was a friend of the bride. Technically, I wasn't invited to the wedding, so unknowingly, I was crashing the wedding. I had gone because a person previous at that time that I knew had invited me to come along. So I was like, awesome. We'll go to the Adirondacks, have a weekend wedding. It'll be during the summer. It'll be fun. And so when Maya and I met, it was the first evening of a three-day weekend. I was at a dock along the lake. (laughs) I'm laughing now because... (laughs) Because that's your name, so I was just thinking of you as a person. Now I've never met anybody whose name is Lake. So anyway, um, Maya was walking down the hill um, toward the the dock on the lake, and I think from what I remember, I turned around and I noticed that this person was walking towards me, and it was Maya, and I had that sense of I wanna I wanna chat to this person. Who is she? And so we um, chatted and we had quickly connected on the fact that we went to the same college, the Rochester Institute of Technology in Rochester, New York. Uh, And then I uh, had plans to go for a swim with someone else. And so we said, we'll catch up later. So that night, I think this is a part that Maya should share. um, We had a deeper conversation. And so could you share about that? 
Okay, sure. So she had asked me a deep question that is typically not one that you ask when you first meet new people. You know, typically when you first meet somebody, you want to get to know each other, where you're from, where you work, but C3 just went right into it and got right into the nitty gritty of things. And I was like, okay, I'll go ahead and answer that very intimate question. That night, I didn't really feel satisfied with what I had given her for that question because that deep question required a deeper answer. So I thought about it and I decided that I wanted to reconnect with her and explain a little bit more. I wanted to give my thoughts because the two of us had just connected and we wanted to keep talking, wanted to get to know each other more. It was different from everybody else that I had met. So I knew I wanted to just keep talking and that was really what sparked it. I just wanted to keep in contact. It started as a friendship and then, you know, she caught me later on and this is where we are today. It, I was fortunate because the two of us went to RIT, but we went different years. I graduated and I had already left and C3 was just going to college. So if it hadn't been for that wedding, we would have never met. So that's the story of how we met. If you want to know more about our story and how we grew up and what our lives were like, we both have different backgrounds. I grew up, I went to a deaf residential school. I learned sign language from a very young age, probably since I was a baby. I was born hearing, but I became sick at seven months old with spinal meningitis. Um, from then on, my parents decided to uh, to put me into a deaf school. I was about three or four. I did do some oral method for a while, which, you know, you can see today with, that with my education, I mostly signs. I've been signing my whole life. Meanwhile, C3's background is a lot different. And I was, I was born deaf with a profound hearing loss with some, I think, I'm trying to remember what it's called. I'm going to not have to challenge myself with that one, where I did have some hair cells left in the cochlea, um, but it wasn't enough to be sufficient in communicating with the external world. So my father, as a doctor, decided the cochlear implant would be the route to go. And my mother, she was a stay-at-home mom, so she, and she had been a language teacher, so she had the skills and felt like she was well-equipped to provide me with access, one-on-one -on -one access to developing my speech and my listening skills. And we lived in a small town in central Pennsylvania, so there wasn't much access to other resources similar to like a deaf school that Maya had gone to, uh, unless my parents were willing to relocate. Uh, and so I grew up, small classrooms, small sports teams, um, small, group settings. So it was just enough that I was able to kind of pass by um, and do decent. And that was not without frustrations and acting out and not liking myself, not feeling like I identified um, to, uh, as a person who's proud to be deaf. Um, it felt like I was lesser than everybody else. Um, but fortunately, my parents or my mom had met uh, a girl who was about to go to college who was a little older than I was. And she, she shared about the access services at the Rochester Institute of Technology. And so my mom was like, let's check the school out. So we took a drive up to Rochester. And I remember when I walked onto that campus, even though I didn't know sign language yet um, or to the capacity to be fluent, 
I was like, if I know this language, I'm going to understand everything around me for the first time, even if I don't mean to be a part of the conversation. And so my mom and I knew in my junior year of high school that that's the school I was going to go to. And I would never look back and, you know, regret that journey that I took. And so now I consider myself somewhat fluent in American Sign Language, even though it's a little more of an English version. Um, but that could be something we get into another time. So if I can jump back, Maya, to something that you shared earlier, I'm interested, did your parents know ASL going into this? Or if they learned ASL, kind of what was that process like for them? Okay, so sure. So I have been deaf basically my whole life. And they had made the choice to put me in a deaf school at a very young age. They were able to take ASL classes throughout my life. So even today, my mom and my sister are both, they sign pretty well for as far as I can remember. My dad used to sign very well when I was younger, but now because we live so far away and we don't live together, he doesn't have the ability to practice every day his sign language is not as great as it used to be, but growing up, they did take classes and they did sign with me, but it wasn't as good as my mom and my sister, but still to be able to have communication access there, that's all that counts. And I know that the effort was there. My brother did pick some up too, but it's, it seems like men just aren't very good at picking up sign language. I don't know what it is. I think women just, I'm just joking, by the way. I'm really just joking. But the ability to communicate with me growing up, that was something that was very nice to have. And I did have that. Great. Thank you. So C3, um, you know, you had mentioned that you grew up in a, a much smaller setting without a lot of these resources. So I'm curious if you can speak a little bit more specifically to the accommodations that your school was able to give you and what your education process may have looked like in a setting that maybe didn't have the resources that might have been needed. So my accommodations were more like free accommodations, something that anybody could do and should do as a baseline. For example, I get to have the first choice in where I seat, sit, seat myself, in the front of the classroom, front row, in the middle. The teacher is advised uh, not to speak until they're facing the classroom, the students. So if they're writing on the whiteboard, finish what they're writing, and then turn themselves toward the class and speak from there. So I'm able to use lip reading cues, facial cues uh, and match their sounds that were being produced with the shape of their mouth. Because they were smaller classes, I was able to get through them for the most part. The teachers were also told that I would not be held responsible for information that is required for us to know as long as they write it on the whiteboard because then that information is visual and I have a chance to write that down for myself. And if there's a quiz or an important date and an assignment to complete, that they have that on the whiteboard as well. So I know what I need to take home and acquire that information. 
I also will say credit to my parents. They took it upon themselves that my education was their responsibility. And that's not always the case with parents and children. They feel like it's the school's responsibility. And while they do want the school to also take my education to another notch and ensure that I get the information that I'm supposed to know, they knew they needed to fill in those gaps. So they also would take the time in the evenings to catch me up. And I was homeschooled for some of my life. I was homeschooled for three years before my father passed away. And so that also helped me beat, I guess, almost like a listening curve, whatever I might not be catching, uh, or if there are any areas where I struggle that my mom can get me to the level that I need to be at my age at that time. And I just wanted, I wanted to add a little bit about my educational background as well. Now I did start at a deaf school, yes, but that was in middle school. Oh, in the middle school, there was a deaf program that was um, mainstreamed. So for the first, I was mainstreamed for the first one. And then there was a deaf program that I went to. So that provided the accommodations that I needed for the mainstreamed education that I was receiving. But that was once I was exposed to an interpreter in class. And that didn't happen until middle school at RIT and still today. So I just wanted to emphasize that I have the, I have the best of both worlds from the deaf school and from a mainstreamed education, which shows that lack of resources for C3, but I had an abundance of resources. So it's a very different experience that we both lived. And even though we had such vast experiences that are different. If you can almost imagine or seeing the two of us sitting here right now, we are both federal employees in Washington, DC, working for our respective federal agency's headquarters. We have the top accommodations that we need, especially working for the federal workforce. They're what we would call a model employer for people with disabilities. And so we're in a place where regardless of our upbringings and our educational backgrounds, as long as the intention comes from somewhere in our lives, whether that is family, schools, community resources, or a combination of those, it gets us to where we can be, where we're capable, independent, and successful adults. That's great. So if we can, and I'm curious to hear more specifically about what it is that you do now, but I want to quickly go back to something C3 that you had mentioned about, you know, hearing about RIT and the accommodations that they had. And I'm curious, what specifically did you hear about RIT that, that made you think, yeah, this is the place that I need to be? Whatever resources I needed, I was going to get. And that was not what I, the, what the case was when I was growing up. Also, for those who don't know, um, the Rochester Institute of Technology provides, I think, three quarters of tuition paid for. Where going, I mean, it's a private institution. And so it's one of those expensive schools. But individuals who qualify with their audiogram 
And I remember what the benchmark is, that three quarters of tuition or like two thirds, one of those two, the majority of the tuition is reduced. And so that was one perk. And also, as I was mentioning before, when I saw all of those people who were signing to one another and seeing the world of silence manifest into successful people um, from the collegiate level, even though I wasn't yet a part of it, I, there was this weird sense of belonging. It was like um, something in my chest kind of shook itself up a little bit. And even though it was a school, it was almost like I gravitated toward something at first sight, knowing that somehow something is going to work out from this and it's going to give me what I need that I never had. I love that. Maya, did you have a, a similar experience? I mean, that both when you were at RIT and also it, was there a similar path that got you to RIT or was this completely different reasons? Sure. So RIT was not my first choice. When I was out of high school, I decided that it was either California State University or Gallaudet University. I visited both institutions and I decided that I wanted to go to California State University. It was a bigger school, but it had a much bigger deaf program than Gallaudet and RIT both. Their deaf program was impressive, but they had the resources there. So I decided from New Jersey that I would go to California. That was something totally different. I thought that I would like California, but at that time I didn't really know what I wanted. And I did have my doubts. I felt like I wasn't in the right place. I wasn't really ready to settle. You know, California was a great school, but it wasn't the right fit for me at that time. And I felt like I wanted more exposure to a larger deaf program, even though I had been going to deaf programs since I was young, but I still felt like it just wasn't enough. I wanted more exposure. I wanted something that was on the East Coast and closer to my family. You know, I grew up in New Jersey, so I always have that East Coast heart. I'm proud of that. I'm a proud New Jerseyan. So I decided to go ahead and transfer, but I was still between Gallaudet and RIT. So that's when I tried to really focus on what is it that I want for my future. As so far as the college, I didn't really think about the education or my future. What I wanted was that socialization aspect. But my first year, I also realized that it wasn't a good fit. So then now I was at a place where I realized like, okay, what is it that I want for my future? Gallaudet is a good way. It's different. And, Gala and RIT is different for, excuse me, RIT is good for different reasons. And I felt like I fit more at RIT for a lot of different reasons. I wasn't interested in the fields that Gallaudet had to offer. So I thought I'd give RIT a chance. And that's where I've arrived where I'm at. And I have no regrets. I love looking back and I enjoyed my time at RIT. I'm sure that those experiences are great everywhere you go. RIT just happened to be the perfect fit for me at that time. And I ended up graduating in 2012. It wasn't that long ago, but it was long, long enough ago. <laughs> and what did both of you study at RIT? 
So I was undecided for a while. I started with the same major that I did at California, but then I moved to business management, which I thought was more of a general degree. And then I decided to get my first federal job in Indiana. And I pursued my master's of business administration at that time as well at Anderson University in Indiana while I was working full time. And I studied at RIT for different areas because I also was undecided. And then I found a program that allowed me to immerse myself in multiple areas as minors and concentrations rather than having a major, um, which were creative writing, psychology, communications, and women and gender studies. And because I didn't really have any qualifications after um, getting my bachelor's, uh, I knew I had to go on to graduate school. So I went to Dayton, Ohio at Wright State University and studied student affairs in higher education. Let me make sure I have this timeline correct. So 2012, you both graduated from RIT. Was it the same year? No, we graduated separately. I didn't meet her at RIT. I graduated in 2012 and she was enrolling in 2012. So we genuinely miss each other. We would have never met if it hadn't been for that wedding in upstate New York. I graduated in 2012 and she went in, you went in and she graduated in 2016. 2016? Yeah, 2016. So C3, you just graduated then when you had met Maya at the wedding, right? Yes. Well, actually, yes. That was right after I graduated, correct? Yes, that's correct. And I met her right before she went into Wright State, right before she transferred to Wright State. So Maya, where were you when C3 was in Dayton at Wright State? I was here. I was here at this place in the same home, actually. <laughs> so yeah, I've been in DC for like from the end of 2015, I moved here December of 2015 from Indiana. And I've been here ever since, and I met her that summer in upstate New York. I know that we've jumped around a little bit on the story. So it sounds like we met 2016. We've kind of set the foundation for what happened before. Um, and I know that I think Maya had mentioned some conversations that have happened after you had left the wedding. So where did things go from here? Okay, so I had finished my first full-time job in Indiana. That was my very first opportunity that I got and when I moved there. And then earlier, like I said, I'm a proud East Coaster and I realized that I'm sticking to the East Coast. I thought that might change in the future, but at that time I knew I wanted to move back East. I knew DC would be the perfect place because DC has a lot of opportunities for federal work. And there's a lot of resources and a huge deaf community and accommodation. So I knew it would be a good place for me to start. So I decided to move here. I got a job here and I transplanted here. And then, like I said, I was already settled in my job and she had just graduated from RIT. So I knew that she still had her grad school um, program to go through. And I knew that she needed to go and find herself and do her thing. Now understand that after the wedding, we kept in touch once in a while, every now and then. At that time, that summer, 2016, it was really tough on C3 
because she was in a relationship, a committed relationship, she had been for a few years and they were still trying to figure out what they were going to do and where, what track they were going to take. C3 was realizing that that relationship wasn't going to work for them. And that was a tough time. She was just at a different place. And like I said, I was at a different place. She went to grad school and I went back to DC. I knew that she was going through a hard time and I just wanted to be there to support her and be her friend in her time of need. And when she went to grad school, I managed to come and visit her at least once a month eventually. And it was very, very slow and we took our time. Now, that fall, 2016, I went on vacation with some friends in Thailand and I had a great time. I had the time of my life there and I gave C3 my email address and I told her, you get a hold of me. When you need something, you get a hold of me. But I wasn't going to try because I was focusing on my vacation and my time. And I told her, if you need anything, you call me, you email me. She didn't email me. It was almost very like, abrupt and it went a long time like literally you can't even see my hands with how many emails had populated in my inbox it's a little bit of an exaggeration but it was a long email when i received it and it was very sweet to read and that demonstrated to me that she cared about our friendship and that maybe there might be something in the future so after that the two of us kept in touch daily and I went to visit once a month and we, I wanted to see where it would go and it just kind of worked itself out. Does that seem like, does that answer your question? Does that seem like, <laughs> like a good answer? I know that I tend to get off topic here, but so like I said, she was at grad school and I was really supporting her to decide what she wanted to do. But like I said, I was settled here in DC obviously. And for that reason, you know, she had dreamed about living in Rochester and I was a little bit conflicted because there's not a lot of federal opportunities in Rochester. So it would have been a little harder for me to say, okay, let me find something there. It's easier to find something federal there. It would have been harder there. It would have taken time, but I would have been happy to take whatever, as long as it meant that I had an, an opportunity. But the job I had at DC would lead to that opportunity. However, C3 did have a big opportunity to live in Rochester, New York, and it was her decision to stay here. But that conversation was a little tough because I was so used to having her here. And now all of a sudden, it's a little bit of turmoil here or there, here or there. So it was a little hard, but C3 decided to stay here. And I, at first I wasn't sure, should I feel grateful or should I feel bad? Did I affect that decision but it has it's all worked out in the end you two are married is that correct yes and so when did you get married i think so are we married <laughs> <laughs> do you want to tell the story or should i tell it okay so june 26th of this year it was supposed to be july 25th of this year but of course and naturally, we know what's been going on. Uh, I, naturally, it's not the right word, but we know that COVID's been going on. We know that life has been a little bit different from the norm. So that really complicated our plans. So we decided to go ahead and celebrate. And we're going to have our wedding next year. We'll see where we are at that time. But we decided to go ahead and get married in June 26th because 
of the Supreme Court decision that passed the same sex equality marriage. It was exactly five years on that date. It happened to be on a Friday. So we decided to have a Zoom celebration with our closest family. And that's how we did it. Cecilia, C3, you got anything to add? Well, um, one little cute thing that I liked from that day was when we decided we're going to toss the suit, we're going to toss the dress. Maybe we'll get a chance to wear those or we'll just resell them. But we decided that we were going to just do something much more Cecilia and Maya style, which was rainbow shorts, overalls, and a white t-shirt and uh, customized Converse shoes with the rainbow on the sole, on the bottom of the shoe. And we felt cool that day. After the Zoom ceremony, we went out to the Supreme Court uh, here in DC and took pictures. Those were our wedding pictures. So I really enjoyed that. I love that story. I mean, we've heard all of this stuff about, you know, weddings being postponed and events being postponed because of the virus and what a really special way to make something meaningful out of a really unfortunate situation. I love that. And I definitely want to see those photos of you at the Supreme Court because that's amazing. You got it. Yes, of course. And I did want to add one more thing. Prior to the wedding, because we thought July 25th was going to happen, so all of the wine bottles that we had saved, we had bought them, we were ready for that, but obviously we didn't get to do that. Still, at, They're still at her mom's home in the basement because it's a cool place, so we left them there. So I see that kind of as a positive because suppose the wedding doesn't happen, but even if the wedding doesn't happen or it's small or whatever, there's more for me in the future. So, I mean, I'm not upset, I'm not complaining, but I'm, so, I'm happy to share. And, and, you know, that depends on if we do have a wedding or not, but it's sitting in that cellar. <laughs> it gives you an idea of how much wine we bought, just enough wine for 200 people. And we still have that wine. So Maya's definitely happy, but I think we're going to have to chat about how exactly we're distributing that if we end up not having the celebration. And the wine is ageless. It can age, it grows better with age. So I'm not complaining, it can sit there for years. I don't care. It's gonna become a nice fine wine that you're making in that cellar. Maybe we'll use it for like a 15 year anniversary instead. There you go. Yeah, a couple bottles for every year's anniversary. That was great, thank you. Check out part two of this series next week where C3 and Maya talk to Lake about their current jobs their work accommodations, and what hearing people can do to provide better accommodations for deaf people in the workplace.